25. I encourage you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here beginning in verse 22 of 1 Peter 1. Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. This is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy today. We thank you for this time that we can spend together hearing your word preached. And we would ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit, that he would guide our thoughts and they would help us to understand this text in such a way that our lives and our thinking our conduct is truly transformed and brings glory to you. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Brethren, it is our privilege this morning to continue our series through the book of 1 Peter and to finish our consideration of this first chapter. And as I have emphasized before, there are two central themes in this first chapter. The first theme is the gracious saving work of God. The gracious saving work of God. For it was God who in his great mercy chose us for salvation, who caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you and I as Christians are to live with an awareness of God's saving mercy towards us and with a profound sense of gratitude to God for what he has done for us in giving us a spiritual inheritance that is grounded in Jesus Christ and which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Or if we could keep these things in mind, we could experience genuine, lasting joy despite the trials that we must often face. And then the second central theme in this chapter flows from the first, and that being that a knowledge of God should have a direct effect on the way that we live, on the way that we live. For we saw that since God is holy, you and I should be holy in all manner of our conduct. And we also saw that since God is a just and impartial judge to whom all of us must give an account, we should live our lives with a healthy sense of awe, a healthy sense of reverence for God, for the God that we serve is worthy of our admiration. The God that we serve is worthy of our respect. And then we also saw last week as well that we should live with an understanding of our spiritual redemption, an understanding of our spiritual redemption or the fact that we've been ransomed from our former ways of living and from our former ways of thinking. And now we are free to follow our Lord with confidence, knowing that we have been redeemed, not with perishable things, 
such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because we have been redeemed and fully accepted by God on the basis of what Christ has done, on the basis of his blood, we need not fear that we shall ever be lost or that we shall somehow fall short of receiving our inheritance. For the precious blood of Christ has forever cleansed us from all of our sins. It has given us an eternal and secure standing before our Father, a standing that we will never lose, a standing that we should always rejoice in. And therefore, from all that we've learned about God, from all that we've learned about Christ's work for us here in this first chapter, we see that we have the privilege of living lives that are characterized by holiness and by awe and reverence and by a growing awareness and appreciation of what it means to be ransomed, what it means to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. And if all these things are evident in us, then we are ready for action. We are eager to live as obedient children, children who reflect God's grace that is constantly at work in them. And yet before we leave this first chapter of 1 Peter, Peter identifies here another effect that God's gracious working within us should have upon the way that we live as Christians. And this effect is mentioned here in our text this morning, beginning in verse 22. Verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1. For Peter writes here, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And of course, in order for us to understand what Peter is commanding us to do here, we must first consider again what God has done for each and every one of us who are true believers. And that is that God has made it possible for our souls to be purged, for our souls to be made clean, to be made spotless by our obedience to the truth. And of course, in understanding this statement, we should remind ourselves again of what Jesus did in shedding his precious blood for us and how you and I are actually brought under the purging power of his blood. For clearly, when Jesus Christ spilled his blood for us as his people, he purchased for us an eternal redemption, a redemption that not only involved the removal of our past sins and our past guilt under the moral law which we broke, but a redemption that also involves our continual purging, our continual cleansing throughout the entire process of our sanctification. In fact, listen to two passages that speak directly to this work in us in relation to Christ's shed blood for us. I'll read them for you this morning. If you want to look them up, that would be fine as well. For example, consider first Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11, 14. These verses speak of Christ's work as our high priest and they speak of how efficacious, how effective his blood is in continuing to purify us. Continuing to purify us. For we read here beginning in verse 11 of Hebrews. 
chapter 9, these words. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify, notice the word here purify means not just once, but continually purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses and renews the conscience of the believer. In fact, the well-known Reformed commentator Matthew Henry wrote these words, and I, I thought I would share them with you this morning because I think they're they're so edifying, they're so helpful. He said this, The blood of Christ is sufficient to enable us to serve the living God, not only by purging away guilt, which separates God and sinners, but by continually, there's that word again, continually sanctifying and renewing our souls through the gracious influences of the Holy Spirit purchased by Christ, for this purpose that we might be enabled to serve God in a lively manner. And so we first see here in Hebrews chapter 9 that even after we are forgiven, the blood of Jesus Christ applied by the Holy Spirit continues to purge, continues to cleanse our consciences from trusting in our own dead works to trusting in God instead as an ongoing aspect of our sanctification. We should be glad. Amen. Good news. We should be glad that our consciences are being cleansed in this way. We should be glad that we are not left to contend constantly with an unruly or a misguided or a guilty conscience. Then secondly, on this matter of the blood of Christ, continuing to purge or to cleanse us throughout the process of our sanctification, let us consider the, the very familiar words of 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Let me read them to you. I think you will find them familiar. For John writes here, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, unquote. For clearly, as John highlights here in these verses, there is a continuing sense in which we are being cleansed, in which we are being purged by the blood of Christ as we walk in the light, as God is in the light, and as we confess our sins to God, 
trusting in his faithfulness and his justice to forgive us and to cleanse us. And in this very same way, Peter, back in our text here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, now points us again to the purging power of Christ's blood with these words, having purified or having purged our sins. For this is another way that we have been affected by the powerful cleansing influence of Christ's sacrifice, which he made for us. And how are believers purged in this sense? Well, let us note that Peter states here how in verse 22, and he says they are purified by their obedience to the truth. By their obedience to the truth. And by this statement, Peter is not saying that we purify ourselves. He is not saying that we have the power to purify ourselves through our own obedience, but rather Peter is saying here that as they are being obedient to the truth, and God is the one who grants us the obedience, as we are being obedient to the truth, the Holy Spirit of God, in the process of sanctifying us, is purging us, purifying us. In fact, Peter is saying here, in essence, the same thing that, that John was saying back in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, that as we are walking in the light, as we are walking in obedience to the truth, the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us from all sin. And surely this is true in our lives this morning. If we walk in obedience to the truth, not denying the fact that we have sinned, but rather acknowledging honestly our sins, we are being purified. We are being cleansed for the glory of God. We are being cleansed, purged for the purpose that he has ordained for us. In addition, let us note here in our text this morning the effect that this cleansing should have upon us with respect to our behavior towards one another with respect to our behavior towards one another. For Peter tells us, continuing here in verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1, that having been purified, we should also possess, as a byproduct of that, as a result of that, a sincere and earnest brotherly love for others. A sincere and earnest brotherly love for others. For clearly God's great purpose in purifying us through the obedience of the truth is to make us more like Christ. That's the purpose of the purifying. That's the purpose of the purging. To make us like our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And what better characterize Jesus Christ than his love for his people? If we're going to be like him, that we need to have love like he has. And of course, this fact that we've been purified in order that we might possess a sincere brotherly love for others is, is critically important this morning for, for two reasons. And let's note these reasons very quickly. First, it's important because these words remind us that in order for us to have sincere love for others, our souls must first be purified our souls must be purified by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Apart from the Spirit's sanctifying work within us, you and I cannot love others sincerely or earnestly. Let me repeat that because it's very insightful. 
apart from the Spirit's sanctifying work in us, you and I cannot love others sincerely or earnestly. If left to ourselves, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, if left to our natural inclinations towards our own sinful, wayward hearts, we would not love. We would not love. But rather, we would live selfish lives. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, without the purging work of the Spirit, we would live selfishly, demanding love from others, but never expressing sincere love to others in return. Therefore, before we can possess and possess true love for our brethren, we must first experience the purifying work of the Holy Spirit upon our souls. That work of purification as we walk daily by the Spirit in obedience to the truth. Then secondly, this fact that we have been purified in order that we might possess a sincere brotherly love for others is critically important because love is to characterize our relationship with one another. Love is to characterize our relationship with one another. And if brotherly, sincere, brotherly love is absent from our individual lives, then we have a good reason to question whether we are true believers or not. We have a good reason to question whether the Spirit of God has actually created within us the ability to love. In fact, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, these words, Beloved, let us love one another. That's the standard. That's the behavior. That's what we've been called to do. For love is from God. There's the source. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Needless to say, sincere brotherly love is also essential to the spiritual health and vitality of, of churches. For where sincere, earnest love is absent in congregations, there will always be such sins as malice and deceit and hypocrisy and even slander. In fact, we'll consider this in detail next Sunday, Lord willing, when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. We'll go into this in detail. So our present need for sincere brotherly love is great as a church indeed. It is what defines us as a congregation of believers in Jesus Christ. And therefore, it should not surprise us, brethren, to see here at the end of verse 22 a command for us to love in a manner that expresses the genuineness of our faith. For Peter commands us here, love one another earnestly. You could translate this with intensity. In fact, the Greek word that, that Peter uses here that's translated by the English word earnestly here in verse 22 of the English Standard Version means to stretch or to strain or to be stretched, or to be strained. And, and so the idea here is that we should be stretching out. We should be reaching out even to the point of straining in our love for one another. I want you to think about that. Stretching out 
even to the point of straining in our love for one another. Not only this, but we should be doing so, notice the text, with a pure heart, a cleansed heart, a heart that is without hypocrisy, a heart that is guided by a genuine, genuine concern and affection for others. And again, the idea here of a pure heart points to the purifying work of the Spirit. That's the relationship. For without his work on and in our hearts, genuine, authentic, selfless, Christ-like love for the brethren would not be a reality in our individual lives as Christians or even as a church. And of course, Peter makes this clear yet again here in the first part of verse 23. For our love is a reality, Peter says, since we have been what? We have been born again. For our new birth, our spiritual birth, enables us to exercise that sincere, earnest love for our brethren that Peter commands us to have here in the preceding verse, verse 22. Let us notice here also, continuing in verse 23, that Peter identifies the means or the instrument that God uses to bring about our new births. It's all tied together. It's all related. What's the instrument that God uses to bring about this new birth, which enables us then to love sincerely and earnestly? Well, the means that God uses is his powerful word. His powerful word. For Peter writes here in verse 23 that we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word And of course, in describing the word of God in this way, Peter is making some important declarations that we need to note as well. Just consider these this morning. First, Peter declares here that the word of God is not like seed that perishes. It is not like the words of mere men which sound out loudly one day, but which produce no lasting fruit for eternity. But rather, the word of God is an imperishable seed. It is a seed that goes forth. It is a seed that accomplishes the purpose that God has for it. It is a seed that is never spoken, nor is it ever sown in vain. It is a seed that is planted and watered by the Holy Spirit. It is a seed that always bears fruit or the purpose that God intends for it. And of course, this is a tremendous encouragement to those of us who minister the word of God. For the word of God that we preach, the word of God that we teach, the word of God that we sow is not a perishable seed. It is not a seed that dies without effect is not a seed that fails to produce life, but rather it is a seed that accomplishes exactly what God intends for it to accomplish. It is a seed that produces spiritual life as it is planted and watered by the Spirit. And therefore, let us proclaim the Word of God with total confidence that it is imperishable, that it is able to produce eternal results. Brethren, I want you to know this morning that I take great joy in this fact this morning. 
that the word of God is powerful in the sense that I just described it, and it does not return void. It always accomplishes the purpose that God has intended for it. Because it's not up to me and the way that I speak. It's not up to me and the way that I organize my facts. It's not up to me and how effectively I communicate what I hope to convey to you. It's the Word of God that has the power. It's the Word of God that is imperishable. It is the Word of God that is living and that is abiding. It is the Word of God that produces eternal results. Then secondly, Peter's description here in verse 23 of the Word of God and its powerful effects teaches us something very important about the Word of God and that it stresses that the Word of God is always living. It's always abiding. The Word of God is a living, dynamic Word. It is a Word that will remain throughout time eternal. Of course, it stands in direct contrast to the words and to the ways of perishable men, doesn't it? In fact, we should take a moment to compare it to the perishable words of men. For when we look at men and we ponder the mere sayings of men, we quickly realize that there is nothing eternally living or abiding about either one of them. We are left with this same conclusion that Peter came to as he quotes now from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. For notice in our text here that Peter quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and he says here, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades or fails, depending on the translation that you're reading. And what's significant about Peter's use of the prophet Isaiah here is that Isaiah's main point when he originally gave these words was to assure Israel, ancient Israel, that the power of man, even when it outwardly appears against God's promise of deliverance, is not to be feared. The power of man is not to be feared, for man's puny power will be as grass before the powerful word of God. For man's power and strength will wither and fail away. Whatever glory it once appeared to have will be entirely forgotten. And no doubt this was a great comfort to ancient Israel when they were faced with the powerful oppression of the brutal Babylonians. You may remember the context in the book of Isaiah where Israel seemed to be tormented endlessly by the Babylonians but to know that God would eventually dispose of the Babylonians just as surely as grass withers, that the temporary glory of the Babylonians would surely come to an end, gave the oppressed people of God good reason to hope. It gave them a reason to be certain that the good news that they heard would most surely come to pass. That's the context in Isaiah it's no surprise now that Peter uses that context and those words from Isaiah to make his point here again. Peter makes use of these same words in chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. These same pronouncements to speak to his readers and to us as well. And his central message is simply this, that what God has done in us is not the product of withering, failing human strength. 
It is not a work that withers away under pressure or under opposition. It is not a work that appears glorious for a season and then ceases to be, but rather the work that God has done. And again, the context here is the work that God has done in us, the work that God has done in you and in me. That word is lasting. That word, that work is permanent as the word of God itself is permanent as the word of God itself, according to verse 25, remains forever. Therefore, let us believe in the power of God's imperishable word, that word that gave us life, that word that is purging us, that word that is transforming us, that word that is guiding us, that word that assures us that we shall overcome, that we shall prevail by the grace of God Let us believe that the same powerful word that Isaiah was speaking about in his text that we read a few moments ago is reliable and powerful for us as well, that it will continue to work God's divine purposes in us. Where this reliable, powerful word came not only in the form of good news in Isaiah's day, as the people of God was looking for deliverance from their oppressors, but it comes especially as good news today in the form of the gospel. Notice Peter says this powerful word, this transforming word, comes in the word that we hear preached, comes through the power of the gospel. Peter identifies how this word was actually communicated and received by his readers. He says here in verse 25, And this word is the good news that was preached to you, to you, to me. We have been the recipients of this word. And so, where do we hear this word, this word that is used by the Spirit, this word that creates abundant, abiding life within us? Where do we hear this word? We hear this powerful word whenever the gospel is faithfully preached. Wherever it's preached, God unleashes the power. Wherever it is preached, the word of God has this mighty and powerful effect. As the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is set before us as our only hope of redemption, the spirit of God is at work. The spirit of God enables us to receive that gospel by faith to the saving of our soul. And that word ever lives and abides within us to accomplish God's purposes within us. So my closing question from all of this this morning, brethren, is this, friend, is this. Have you heard and believed this word? Have you heard and believed the gospel? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ as God's appointed redeemer and the only one who can give you true peace with the Father, for Christ has obtained peace for those who come savingly to him, and I hope you've done so. For Christ will powerfully purge your heart and enable you to believe. Christ will powerfully purge your heart and enable you to love as you should sincerely and earnestly. And unless our naturally selfish and deceitful hearts are purged, we'll never know what it is to live in love. 
We'll never know what it is to demonstrate that love to others. May God powerfully be at work through his word today. May that word go forth, break down obstacles and barriers. May that living and abiding word have its powerful work in each of us through the glory of God, changing our lives, purging us from sin, helping us to love one another as we should. May God do all the work today. Only he can do it. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace this morning. We thank you for the power of your word and for the assurance of its power this morning. And we would ask that you would enable us by your grace to receive it, to believe it, to trust in it, to live our lives according to it. And we have the assurance this morning that this is the means that Jesus Christ uses to perform his good work in us and to perform his good work in the church. So bless us, we pray. Work in us mightily that work that only you can accomplish. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.